Chapter One, Part Six of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book Six, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Reverend Philip Edward Pusey and Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty-five. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. The inspired evangelist says that our Lord Jesus Christ heard, not implying certainly or of necessity that any one reported the fact to him but because as one of the wise somewhere says the spirit of the lord filleth the world and the ear of hearing heareth all things surely he hears as the psalmist says he that planted the ear doth he not hear and he that formed the eye doth he not perceive when therefore we suffer insults on his account or endure any grievous thing from those who are wont to fight against god we are bound to believe that most assuredly god is a looker-on and listens as it were to the trial that comes upon us for the very nature of the occurrence and the sincerity of those who are dishonoured on his account cry aloud in his divine ears and finding him he said unto him dost thou believe on the son of god the man who had been blind has been cast out by the pharisees but after no long interval of time christ seeks him and finding him initiates him in mysteries therefore this also shall be a sign to us that god keeps in mind those who are willing to speak on his behalf and who do not shrink from peril through faith in him for thou hearest how making himself manifest as though to give a good recompense he hastens to implant in him the highest perfection of the doctrines of the faith and he proposes the question in order that he may receive the assent for this is the way of showing faith wherefore also those who are going to divine baptism are previously as a preparation asked questions concerning their belief and when they have assented and confessed then at once we admit them as fit for the grace hence therefore arises the significance of the event to us and we have learnt from our saviour christ himself how right it is that this profession of faith should be made wherefore also the inspired paul asserted that timothy confessed the confession of these things with many witnesses meaning the holy angels and if it is an awful thing to falsify what is spoken before angels how much more so before christ himself so then he asked the man who had been blind not simply if he was willing to believe but also mentions on whom for the faith must be on the son of god and not as on a man like ourselves but as on god incarnate surely this is the fulness of the mystery concerning christ and in saying dost thou believe he all but says wilt thou show thyself superior to the madness of those men wilt thou bid farewell to their incredulousness and accept the faith for the emphatic thou implies such a contradistinction from other persons in some way thirty six and who is he lord saith he that i may believe on him 
the soul furnished with sound reason diligently seeking the word of truth with the eyes of the understanding free without embarrassment makes straight for it like a ship going into port and obtains its advantages by a chase without fatigue and again the man who had been blind will be a proof of what has been said for when he had already by many arguments and reasonings admired the mystery concerning christ and moreover had been struck with astonishment at his unspeakable might which had been experienced not by any other but by himself in himself he is found thus ready to believe and without delay proceeds to do so for see see he earnestly asks upon whom he should fasten that faith which had been already built up within him for this alone was lacking to him and he was previously prepared for it as we have said thirty seven and jesus said thou hast both seen him and he it is that speaketh with thee being asked upon whom it was proper to believe jesus points to himself and not simply by saying it is i but by saying that the person whom the other was looking at and by whom he was being addressed was the son of god in every way consulting beforehand our advantage and in diverse manners constructing aids toward a faith both free from error and unperverted lest while thinking ourselves pious we might fall into the meshes of the net of the devil by foolishly turning aside from the truth of the mystery for even now some of those who think themselves christians not accurately understanding the scope of the incarnation have dared to separate from god the word that temple which was for our sakes taken from woman and have divided him who is truly and indeed one son into two sons even because he was made man for with great folly they disdain to acknowledge as probable that which the only begotten disdained not even to do for our sakes for he being in the form of god according to that which is written counted it not a prize to be on an equality with god but emptied himself taking the form of a servant that he might become a man like us of course without sin but they in their strange opinions find fault in a sort of way with his divine and philanthropic design and thrusting away the temple taken from woman from the true sonship as far as they can in their thoughts they do not accept his humiliation and conceiving an opinion far removed from the truth they say that the only begotten son of god the father that is the word begotten of his essence is one and that the son born of woman is another again still when the inspired scripture proclaims the son and christ to be one are they not full of all impiety who sever into two him who is truly and indeed one son for inasmuch as he is god the word he is thought of as distinct from the flesh and inasmuch as he is flesh he is thought of as distinct from the word 
but inasmuch as the word of god the father was made flesh the two will cease to be distinct through their ineffable union and conjunction for the son is one and only one both before his conjunction with flesh and when he came with flesh and by flesh we denote man in his integrity i mean as consisting of soul and body certainly therefore on account of this pretense with the greatest foresight the lord here again when asked who is the son of god did not say it is i for it would then perhaps have been possible for some ignorantly to suppose that the word alone who shone forth from god the father was thereby signified but showed himself forth in the very manner which to some seems so doubtful by saying thou hast seen him and also indicated that the word himself was dwelling in the flesh by speaking again and adding and he it is that speaketh with thee thou seest therefore what a unity the word possesses for he makes no distinction but says that himself is both that which presents itself to bodily eyes and that which is known by speech certainly therefore it is altogether ignorant and impious to say as some inconsiderately do say o christ's man for being god he was made man without being severed from his divinity and is the son also with flesh for in these things is the most perfect confession and knowledge of faith in him thirty eight and he said lord i believe and he worshipped him quick to make a confession i mean as regards his faith and warm in showing piety is the man who had been blind for when he knew that the one present with him and visible to his eyes was truly the only begotten son he worshipped him as god although beholding him in the flesh without the glory which is really god befitting but having had his heart illumined by christ's indwelling power and authority he advances to wise and good thoughts by fair reasoning and beholds the beauty of his divine and ineffable nature for he would not have worshipped him as god unless he believed him to be god having been prepared and led thus to think by what had happened unto himself even the miraculously accomplished marvellous deed and since we transferred all the circumstances connected with the blind man to the history of the gentiles let us now speak again concerning this for see i pray you how he fulfils by the prefiguring of the worship in spirit the type to which the gentiles were conducted by their faith for it was the custom for israel to serve the lord of all according to the bidding of the law with sacrifices of oxen and incense and with offerings of other animals but the faithful among the gentiles know not this manner of service but were turned to the other that is the spiritual which god says is truly and especially dear and sweet to him for he says 
i will not eat the flesh of bulls neither will i drink the blood of goats and in preference he bids us offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving that is worship with song to celebrate which the psalmist through faith in the holy spirit sees that all the gentiles would go up and says as if to our lord and saviour all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee yea they shall sing to thy name moreover our lord jesus christ himself shows the spiritual to be better than the legal service when he says to the woman of samaria woman believe me the hour cometh when neither in this mountain nor in jerusalem shall ye worship the father but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the father in spirit and truth for such doth the father seek to be his worshippers god is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth and if we rightly think we shall conclude that the holy angels also are distinguished by this kind of service presenting unto god such worship as a sort of spiritual offering for instance when the spirit gave command to those above to bring god befitting honour to the first-born and only begotten he says and let all the angels of god worship him moreover the divine psalmist called us to do this saying o come let us worship and fall down before him and it would not be difficult to treat of this matter at great length but putting a convenient limit to our words we will abstain from bringing forward any more arguments for the present except that we will once more repeat that the man who had been blind admirably carries out the type of the service of the gentiles making his worship the close companion of his confession of faith thirty nine and jesus said for judgment came i into this world that they which see not may see and that they which see may become blind christ when explaining to us by the voice of isaiah the cause of his manifestation i mean in this world says the spirit of the lord is upon me because he anointed me he hath sent me to preach good tidings unto the poor to proclaim deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind moreover he saith somewhere in another place hear ye deaf and receive your sight o blind that ye may see when therefore he saith that for this cause he was chosen by god the father that he might proclaim recovery of sight to the blind how is it that here he saith for judgment came i into this world that they which see not may see and that they which see may become blind is then some one will say christ a minister of sin according to the language of paul god forbid for he came to accomplish the predetermined intention of his goodness towards us namely to illuminate all men by the torch of the spirit but the jews being obstinate in unbelief did not accept the grace shining upon them imprecating as it were on themselves 
a self-chosen darkness for instance it is written concerning them in the prophetic records while they waited for light darkness came upon them waiting for brightness they walked in obscurity for inasmuch as he was to come according to the declaration of the law the jews waited for brightness and the light that is christ for they accepted the fact that he would come and expected him but they who thought themselves pious in this matter were walking in obscurity that is in profound darkness when there was no other cause why they suffered the gloom that came upon them except that by their own unbelief they drew the affliction upon themselves i came therefore he says to give sight to the blind through their faith but the unyielding obstinacy of the stubborn and refractory which tended greatly to unbelief caused the coming of the illuminator to be unto them a coming for judgment for since they believe not they are condemned and this the saviour has said more clearly to thee in other words also verily verily i say unto you he that believeth on the son is not judged but he that believeth not on the son hath been judged already because he hath not believed on the name of the son of god with beautiful fitness therefore he mentions this in connection with the event now under our consideration making the deed miraculously wrought upon the blind man as the basis as it were of his discourse for he declares that man to have received sight not only as regards the body but also as regards the mind because he had accepted the faith but that the pharisees suffered just the contrary because they did not behold his glory although it was shining most clearly even in that marvellous deed that was so great and so novel forty those of the pharisees which were with him heard these things and said unto him are we also blind the pharisees keep close to the saviour christ and are eager to associate with him although they have a sharp arrow shot into their heart and pine with vexation and envy at his glory they associate with him however gathering nourishment for their hatred and devising various slanders against his marvellous deeds and by these means perverting the guileless mind of such as are more ready to believe and when they heard christ say these words they were cut to the heart again for it was not likely that they would fail to know that the aim of the discourse was directed against them but when he said at first vaguely and indefinitely that they which see may become blind not yet having an occasion to find fault with good reason as being insulted they maliciously question him applying the force of what had been said to their own persons and demanding as it were that he should say more clearly whether he meant that they were blind also so that they might now condemn him again as offending against the commandment of the law for being constantly familiar with every part of the writings of moses they knew that it was written thou shalt not speak evil of a ruler of thy people 
either therefore expecting to be insulted they say such words so that they might seem with good reason to attack him and to be angry and now without blame to take counsel against christ or because they really felt such excess of bitterness in their mind and were bursting to show the malice which was in them for when christ said for judgment came i into this world that they which see not may see and by these words indicated the restoration of sight to the blind man they were unable to endure being reminded of the miracle and being goaded by envy they once more rise up against him and endeavour to oppose him in his presence they do not shrink from saying what almost amounts to this o fellow the boastest strange things having accomplished none of those deeds which thou thinkest thyself to have wrought dost thou indeed wish say they to impose even upon us with thy wonder-working wilt thou be capable of saying that thou hast healed us for that we are blind also dost thou wish that we should describe to thee the glory of a physician and wonder-worker telling lies after the manner of this man of whom thou sayest that he has received his sight having been born blind wilt thou dare to deal falsely with us by similar statements certainly therefore the language of the pharisees as they mock at the events relating to the blind man is evil and very bitter and they deem the whole thing an imposture rather than a truth for nothing convinces the obstinate forty one jesus said unto them if ye were blind ye would have no sin but now ye say we see your sins will remain the saviour once more confounds them tempering his reproof with skill for he holds aloof from all reviling and puts them out of countenance by setting before them the force of the truth he shows them that they derive no advantage from possessing sight or rather that they fell into a worse condition than one who could not see at all for the blind man saith he by not beholding any of the deeds miraculously wrought escaped without sin and is so far blameless but they who have been watchers and beholders of the marvellous deed and through great folly and evilness of disposition have not accepted the faith in consequence of them make their sin difficult of removal and it is really hard to escape from the condemnation which such conduct incurs therefore it is not hard to understand the meaning of this as regards bodily blindness and restoration to sight and when we pass to that which is to be understood by analogy receiving our impressions from the argument itself we shall again repeat the same signification that the man who does not understand may claim his pardon with excellent reason from the judge but he who is keen of intellect and understands his duty and then having indulged his debasing inclination in the baser principles of his mind and given himself to the sway of pleasures and not of duty shall shamelessly claim compassion the request for which he ought to be punished 
shall in no wise be granted and he will very justly perish for having kept in himself a sin without excuse for instance our lord jesus christ signifies exactly the same thing in the gospels saying he that knew his lord's will and did it not shall be beaten with many stripes for the charge against him that knew not is merely that of ignorance but against him that understood and yet inconsiderately refused to act the charge is that of overweening presumption observe again how guardedly accurate was the language of the saviour on this occasion also for he does not say plainly ye see but he says ye say we see for it would of course have been very much beside the mark to ascribe understanding to those who possessed a mind so blind and emptied of light as to dare to say concerning him we know that this man is a sinner self-condemned therefore are the jews who affirm of themselves that they see but do not act at all as they ought i most emphatically self-condemned for they know the will of the lord but are so self-conceited that they thus resist even his mightiest miracles end of chapter one part six